Hello everyone, and welcome once again to In the Finest Hour, a 40k podcast about playing competitively that tries to give you tips and strategies you can use in about an hour. I am your host, Sean Morgan, sometimes known as Abuse Puppy, and I have with me my good co-host, Shaylin Allen. Greetings. And my evil co-host, Joshua Death. Good evening. Can you can get a little more Bela Lugosi with that? Good evening. <laughs> Good evening. <laughs> there we go. That's what we need. That's what we need. I thought we could go high-pitched and add Cadwell instead. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that might be a little difficult for me. I gotta tighten up the shorts for that one. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, I can go high-pitched enough for all three of us. I was going to say, alternatively, we could get out that helium cylinder we keep around and try a little bit of that. We're going to get in trouble we do that again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't I'll... want the Inquisitor involved this time. Yeah. <laughs> or, or Josh's wife. I feel like she might have a stronger word to say than the Inquisitor. She is an Inquisitor. Ah, okay. I love you, honey. Josh likes to flirt with danger. <laughs> <laughs> I just listening in on things, huh? Making sure there's no heresy going on during the podcast. True story. I may or may not be her informant. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you guys doing tonight? Oh, I'm not too bad. I'm coming out of the start of the big spring-summer tournament season here, which has had me thinking about a lot of stuff recently and desperately crafting lists by the hundred. But the sort of thing that's in particular had me is uh, thinking about losing streaks and how to deal with that sort of thing. Ah, yes, something I have felt painfully many of time. Uh, yeah, and I'm kind of in the midst of that right now. I, I did all right at Storm of Silence. I went 3-1-1, which, you know, that's certainly not a, a terrible record by any measure. No. But that is about the best I've done in a tournament in quite a while. Oof. So that's that's definitely kind of put me a little off kilter and that, that sort of thing. And that's, that's, that's something you have to deal with when you're going to tournaments is you're not going to win every tournament. You're not even going to do well at every tournament, but it can still, it still be hard on you. Yeah, very much. Yeah, that is literally why I just said, give me the Tau. I need to put the Grey Knights away. They make me cry. Yeah, there's certainly something to be said for breaking your routine when you get into that situation. Yeah, if anything, it's a brute force method, and God knows I rely on those at the end of the day, so... Sure. Another thing to do would be to change tournament gears, I would say. Try to find a narrative event, or mm. bring like something really dumb like your Assassin's List, where it's like, you know it's not going to do well, so at this point, you can't lose. Well, I mean, I can lose. I will lose a lot. <laughs> you, you know what I mean, conceptually. Sure. It's more like, if you go, like two and four with crappy assassins list that's actually doing okay i mean that puts me well ahead of the guy running the single titan so uh <laughs> who was uh present present once again at storm of silence here i'll add oh he brought justice titan the reaver or sorry the warhound yes this time he ran it with double turbo lasers Cute. Which, I mean, that's probably not a good choice, but honestly, the bad choices started happening several levels before that. So, <laughs> you know, at least he'll beat knights with it. True story. <laughs> Speaking of knights. Oh, yeah. Uh, My nemesis? Because these are not the cool gray ones. Uh, I mean, they are the cool ones, but not the gray ones. No, they are not the cool gray ones. Yes. <laughs> I see what you did there. So, that is the subject of our episode tonight, is knights and how to beat them. Because I think that is something a lot of players, not not just Shaylin, but players of all levels, do struggle with. They are kind of the bane of the mid-table. Especially the mid-table, but whereas in previous editions, knights were really kind of a gatekeeper army, that is to say, an army that is uh, able to beat worse players, but couldn't really climb up and win tournaments on its own. Mm -hmm. uh, We've started to see knights actually take placings and even, you know, win GTs and majors on a fairly regular basis here. Yeah, they are. Yes, they're actually a pretty strong-hitting army in this edition. And they've got a lot of really cool things going for them, and that's part of the reason we need to anal analyze them in detail. Because those cool things are kind of the reason they trash people. Yes. We're going to be focusing this episode on talking about how you beat knights, and more specifically... We're not talking about the Castellan army or things like that, where someone splashes a single knight into a list alongside generally two other detachments. Mm -hmm. uh, what we're going to be talking about is knight armies proper, that what 
in the under the old ITC faction system, what would have been actually an Imperial Knights army. Uh, yes. Things that are taking at least a super heavy detachment with at least one big knight. The the triple armager list is not really a knight list under our definition. No. Um, we are talking about big knight plus at least two armagers or two other big knights. That kind of list. Yes. And those kind of lists are surprisingly common. The one where you get CP for taking your knights, that's the one we're talking about. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so let's actually dive a little bit into the the knight army itself and its composition here. Because aside from the obvious, you can play pure knights. It's, mm-hmm. it's an option. We've even see a, seen a couple of them do reasonably well, but generally speaking, that is not the direction most players go, because that is a very one-dimensional list. That is all the eggs in one basket and throw. Yes, or more specifically, usually about four big baskets. You know what I meant. Yes. And if you like fries with that, it's optional. <laughs> yes. Uh, maybe your your 85-point assassin as a uh, supersize upgrade. <laughs> uh, exactly. So, we are not going to focus as much on the pure knight lists. They certainly do exist, and especially due to the new ITC faction stuff, there are going to be people who play them. But the reality of it is they are kind of just a worse version of the mixed knight lists. Yeah, they have the same basic archetype component that we like to talk about, but the rest of their components are just less optimized. Yes, because that that fourth or fifth knight that you add in doesn't bring nearly as much as the, you know, 600 to 900 points of other models you could be bringing. Command points, the board control, the objectives, yada, yada, yada. Yes. Oh, yes. There's so many other things that you need to be doing during a game that a knight doesn't do very well. Uh, And that's why you typically do see these add-on detachments, fairly cheap ones. Yeah. Uh, In fact, they all have names. The Loyal 32, the Rusty 17, and the Faithful 20. And for those not familiar, the Loyal 32, I mean, I assume pretty much everyone has heard of that at this point. That's your your couple of guard characters leading three squads of infantry. You often see, you know, little additions to any of these. We talked about components mm-hmm. and assemblies in some one of our earlier episodes. These are all assemblies. The base assemblies, specifically. Yes. And, and you are starting to see more variations, players playing tank commanders in place of the basic commanders and whatnot. Because tanks can survive without the Castellan running rampant. That's true. Well, and that also goes back to, I remember one of the other things we talked about in a previous episode was the fact that by sheer concept, the Loyal 32, the, you know, these, these little shells that we're talking about are tacks. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, by concept, they are tacks. And one of the things we've talked about a couple times is find a way to make your tacks not attacks. Yep. And so that's where you see some people throwing flavor and sprinkling tank commander here or a mortar company there or whatever, you know, to vary it, to try and lessen the pure nature of them being attacks. Yes. yes. Because what you really want out of these detachments, the other variations being, you know, the Mechanicus version with its squads of little sniper guys and repair pots, mm-hmm. or the Sisters of Battle version, which is a lot more resilient, but a tad more expensive. Yeah. What you really want from these is that minimal amount of board presence, that ability to sit on backfield objectives or to screen yourself out, and the command points, because the command points are definitely a big one. Huge. And that's why typically what you'll see in a knight list is a super heavy detachment with three-ish knights, Mm -hmm. and then two battalions each bringing their sort of minimum complement of guys, plus maybe a couple of those extra little add-ons that Josh mentioned to make sure that detachment is doing a little bit more than just the very bare minimum for you. But basically those detachments are providing CP. So the knight list is hopefully running 16 CP base? Oh, often more than that. Two battalions, a full knight detachment is 19. It's often starting at more than 16. You remember, you're three for Battleforged. Oh, it's six for the Knight Detachment. I thought it was three. That's where my math was off. Oh, no, it's six. That's, yeah, that's where the Knights get really good. So it is three unless you have at least three full-size Knights. Then it's six. Okay. But that does mean you have 19 starting CP, and you're going to blow through a whole lot of that on Relics and Warlord traits in most cases. But 19 starting CP is a pretty good place to be. That is a CP-saturated list. Yes, and it 
tends to need it. Normally, the the six command points that the knight detachment gives you, most of the time, especially if it's obviously the three large knights, is dumped right back into the knight detachment, giving them their full complement of relics and warlord traits. Yeah, let's actually talk about those a little bit. Knights obviously have a stratagem to give themselves extra relics, just like everyone does. Mm -hmm. Uh, They also have something of a rarity, which is a similar stratagem that gives you extra warlord traits. So you have the potential to have three relics, three warlord traits in a knight detachment. Just a little atypical. More than most get, for sure. Also makes all of those units characters, which means they can all heroically intervene. So it's not just giving them warlord traits. Yes, there's there's certainly more to it than that. You can obviously make knights characters that you know, gives them some other benefits as well as they, they qualify for certain stratagems or secondaries and whatnot. Uh, there's, there's a lot of nuance there, but I think most people understand that the whole knight character thing is knights are characters. Pretty much every knight you face will be a character, as a matter of fact. We'll get into what that means later. Yeah, but on the front of the relics and warlord traits, there are a few of them that are pretty obvious standouts over the others. It's the small handful of them that you tend to see again and again and again. Can I list some of them? Yeah, sure. Which ones have you seen? Ion Bulwark. Yes. The Bulwark is probably the most common one. Plus one to an invuln save. Gives you a four-up invuln save, in fact. Um, Some knights do have a base invuln better than five up. Mm Mm-hmm. And that the Ion Bulwark does not affect your invuln in close combat if you have one. Uh, So it is very notably a... It improves your Ion Shield save to a four-up rather than than a five-up. Yes. The other one uh, I see is the Armor of the Sainted Ion, which brings its armor from 3-up to 2+. Yes, that's often very important against things like Ludas that really just kind of ignore your invuln anyways, uh, or even just small arms fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, taking taking those saves against Strength 4 and 5 guns will add up, and the uh, Armor of Sainted Ion does add a lot there. It also helps in close combat when you're facing like Thunderhammers that have that AP3, oh, and now you're getting a 5-up against them. Yep. There's also Call's Wrath, which is one of the souped-up guns. Yes, it is the improved plasma gun on the uh, Castellan. Basically, it takes the normal profile and turns it into the overcharge profile, and the overcharge profile is another step further beyond that. Getting to hit things for 3 damage a pop with AP4 and Strength 9 is pretty brutal. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The other upgraded gun you tend to see a lot is Endless Fury, which is the upgraded uh, Gatling gun. Mm-hmm. Just adds two more shots to it, making it 14 base, and turns sixes into two hits rather than one. Yep, the exploding Gatling gun. Yes. Which is really nice. It is really nice. There, there's a sea of corpses over there that those things cause. We don't want to talk about it. Yes. Uh, you gotta be especially careful for that thing on Overwatch, because it can be really terrifying. I learned that the hard way. Yes. So, aside from the sort of uh, warlord traits and whatnot that you see generically, there are also the house benefits, mm-hmm. which we've seen some shifts in popularity on, but there's a, couple, a handful of houses that are pretty much the ones you'll see all the time. Josh, what's the most common one in your experience? Uh, from where I'm sitting uh, out here, the crest is probably the, the most common. Crast has gone gained a lot of mileage as of late. And not so much for the house benefit, which is kind of interesting. The house benefit most people actually kind of forget about. It's more for the relic. Yes. Uh, Shailen, do you know what the house benefit for Crast is? Nope, because I've never seen it against me. Really? Nope. I've only ever seen Raven and Tyrannus and Hawkshroud. That's very interesting. I'm, I've never played against a Crass Knight. I'm rather shocked by that, actually. I practically can't walk into a tournament without stumbling over three Crass Crusaders. Right. Um, I've never played a Triple Crusader list, Sean. Well, sure, but even the single one is very common. It's interesting. The two things that you're going to see more with the with the Crass, uh, the, so the first one is the House Trade, especially if you're running three Knights. The House Trade's actually really good, especially on Crusaders, because it makes them so much more versatile. Mm-hmm choices because the house trait allows any house crast unit on the turn it charges is charged or hurricane intervenes it gets to re-roll all missed hit rolls in combat really really good yeah you then you then add in their relic and that's that's really the the crass relic is really where it's just 
Yeah, 12 attacks, rerolling misses, pretty strong. Out of this world good, especially on a Crusader. It makes it so that against any vehicle or monster that has 10 or more wounds... Yes. All weapons, every weapon on the knight gets plus one damage. Mm-hmm. Heavy stubbers are now two damage heavy stubbers. Mm-hmm. Your stompy feet are now D3 plus one damage. It's It's amazing. Yeah. If they happen to have the Titanic keyword... It's plus two instead of plus one. Yes. So now that rapid fire battle cannon is D3 plus two damage. Your Gatling cannon is four damage flat against Titanic. And that's that's just horrifying to think about. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's wicked good. Do you like losing your knights? Because this is a great way to lose your knight. It is. It really is. The Crest Crusader, or Crest Seder as it's often called, is one of the most common units in the game these days. It's kind of replaced that House Raven Castellan in a lot of armies. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because it's cheaper, both in points and command points, and does a very similar kind of job. Doesn't have quite the raw firepower of the House Raven guy, but it is still quite scary. So House Crast is probably the most common these days in my experience, although certainly not the only one you'll see. Mm-hmm. Shaylin mentioned the House Raven, which is, I would say, the, the second runner at this point. Yes. But yeah. in the past was much more common than any of the others. Well, uh, that was before their Raven trait got more expensive, and rightfully so. Yeah, it's really kind of the stratagem and the actual house benefit itself where where things are at. Yeah. yeah. You want to talk a little bit about why that is? So the stratagem was coupled with the Castellan specifically because it let them reroll all ones for the knight for, yeah. a t- for a phase. All ones of any kind. Damage, hit, wound, anything. Number of shots. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was quite powerful. Even at 3 CP, where it is now, it's still a very powerful stratagem. Yeah, no, you, that, that's basically like, all right, my knight goes Super Saiyan and let's nuke some stuff. Yes. Uh, but the house trade itself is actually pretty solid as well. I do not recall what that is, because I just remember pain. <laughs> it's a lot of people forget about it, but it allows you to advance and shoot all your weapons as, as though they were assault. Ah, people don't usually use that. When I see it at the mid-tables. Well, when you only have a, a knight and a super heavy auxiliary detachment, you don't get the trait. Mm. Uh, but when you, you see those knights you know, that are in the, you know, two little baby knights and a Castellan all running, to being able to advance and shoot with those already quite speedy little baby knights, that's big. Yeah. It is. It's huge. Uh, also, especially with the fact that the Valiant is now so much cheaper than the Castellan. Yes. You're going to see, because one of the drawbacks of the Valiant is it's obviously limited range, but the ability to advance and shoot everything is pretty solid. Yes, mm-hmm. that can really bring that flamer into range on the earlier turns of the game. Yes. You said uh, House Tyrannus was another one you've seen yes. around. Why don't we talk about that a little bit? Isn't that the one where they get back up? They have to get back by trading. The zombie knight. Yes, uh, th- this is the one that my warlord nuked in the warlord nuked story from earlier. He yes. nuked a Tyrannus Knight, and it blew up so my opponent couldn't resurrect it. It was really right. sad for him. <laughs> the House Tyrannus has a uh, stratagem that was also bumped up in cost to 3 CP, that when a knight is loses its last wound but does not explode... So make sure you force the opponent to roll for those explosions. The On a 4-up, the knight will stand back up at the end of the phase with D3 wounds remaining. I did, in the olden days, make someone stand their knight up every single phase of a turn once. Yep. It's, um, it's difficult, but it can be done if you are killing things in the movement phase, and the psychic phase, and the shooting phase, and the assault phase. <laughs> it was an horrible day. It's like a punch-me clown of doom. Right? The only reason we did that was because we wanted to have fun, not because it was a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) The house's core trait is actually fairly strong as well. It gives you six-up feel-no-pain against everything except mortal wounds, Mm -hmm. which can make your knights quite a bit more resilient if you get a little bit lucky. Yeah, six-up feel-no-pain does add up over the course of a game, surprisingly, especially if you're taking small arms fires where it really makes the hugest difference, I've noticed. Yes, I mean, if you think about it just from a strict numbers perspective, over the course of a 24-wound knight, you should save four of those, which essentially makes a regular knight into a Castellan. Yes. 
that's a, that's a significant shift in durability. And if you happen to get a little bit lucky, you can shrug a lot of damage off, and there's nothing more frustrating than a knight sitting at one wound. I see a Tyrannus get paired with the Rusty 17 so that they get those healings, so it's just like, oh god. Yep, just all those incremental little bonuses to toughness making you a little bit harder to kill and a little bit harder to kill more. Just start stacking and stacking and stacking. Yes. The last one I see is Hawk Shroud, and that one I always see at least with two baby knight friends, because their trait is changes their damage table so that they can basically stay at full kill longer. Yes, you, strictly speaking, you double the number of wounds you have remaining when determining your place on the damage table. Yes. Which, given how big a knight's wound track is, can keep them running it at full steam for quite a long time. I think most people actually do not take it for the trait, interestingly enough. Nope. Like with Raven, it is largely the stratagem that draws people to it. The stratagem, yes. Why don't you talk a little bit about that one, Josh, because it is a doozy. Oh, I love the stratagem. So good. Especially, obviously, it is you know one of the ideal circumstances is when it happens to tick off on a Valiant. Yes. It allows the whatever knight uses the stratagem to overwatch for another, I believe it's Imperial unit. Yes, it is any Imperial. The Imperial unit within 12 inches of that knight. Mm -hmm. And so if you charge this unit in front of me or this other knight that I have up front, this Valiant in the back that is within 12 inches gets to overwatch for that knight. It is like the greater good Mm -hmm. on steroids. (laughs) But that's not all it does. No, no, it isn't. Please, throw the other one out, Sean. The second half of it can be just as terrifying because should the enemy happen to actually finish that charge and they survive your 3d6 flamer hits, mm-hmm. <laughs> then you get to charge into them as though you were heroically intervening, basically. How adorable. A full 2d6 inches, which also, like, the Valiant may not be the best combatant in the world, but it is still a knight. It's still a night. It still has happy feet. Yes. Yeah, well, it's still going to stomp on you like a freight train that it is, because all knights are freight trains, even Castellans. Yeah, Hawk Shroud can be quite terrifying, especially if you don't know about that ability. If you if you decide to charge into those little guard buddies, and all of a sudden your entire squad is on fire, you're going to be pretty unhappy about that. Yeah. We've talked a little bit about the the basic sort of night houses and the units you tend to see. Most people, I think, are familiar with the Castellan, the Valiant, the Crusader. Then there's also like 47 additional knights that all are a melee weapon and a gun. Because that isn't weird. Yes. So what makes them so damn tough then? Uh, I think there's a number of things. I mean, the, the real obvious part is the stat line. Yeah. Knights have big numbers everywhere. I can tell you what the stat line is, actually. I have it all memorized, oddly enough. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't you hit a couple of the high points for us? Weapon skill ballistic skill 3 up, so they're actually pretty heavy at the whacking part. Yep. Toughness 8 is the huge one. Yes. That is the backbreaker, because yeah. most people's infantry guns are strength 3 or 4. Yep. And even a lot of your heavy weapons are only strength 7 or 8, so still struggling to wound you. Yeah. Um, the other thing that is also backbreaking is the fact that they do carry these invulns that are somewhere between five and four up because you can strategy them up to being five up invulns and four up invulns. Yep. Against shooting only, but still that is where most of your damage is coming in. Yep. So it's like, all right, it's got three up armor, four up invuln. Mm-hmm. And its attack value isn't super exciting. I think it's like six or five or something. But you multiply it by three with stompy feet, and now you're suddenly looking at 15, and that's it's, just ugly. Four on the basic knights. Uh, yeah. There are some knights with more than that, and some knights have some other little variances in, in their stat line. You know, the Castellan and Valiant are only weapon skill four up instead of three up. Yeah, the chargy ones are two up weapon skill, so... Ah, the Gallant is the yeah. melee one. I, yes. Gallants and Crusaders are mixed up in my head, and I will never be able to unscrew that. This, the names <laughs> are very confusing. We won't be talking a lot about the individual knights. We'll more be talking about knights as a whole. Yeah, um, and then you've got, like, the 24-plus wounds. That's the other killer part. Yes, that is, because it's a whole lot of wounds to chew through. And they also have, at least the Quester Mechanicus ones do, the stratagem where they can just, for one CP, pretend they're unwounded. Yes, uh, that is the reason that all four of the houses that we mentioned there, actually I think Hawkshroud might 
Yes, I believe Hawk Shroud is Imperium, but the other three are all Mechanicus and thus get access to the Go to Full Tilt. Yeah. That is a pretty strong stratagem. If your opponent has done 23 wounds to you and you just completely ignore it, that's huge right there. We've talked about tempo before. That's tempo because you are essentially denying the opponent the effect of their turn. Yes. So, obviously having really big numbers is good, but there's a lot more to the list than that. And I think one of the biggest things is actually the fact that it is such an unbalanced list by its very nature. Mm -hmm. Taking three knights means you have a list that is very strongly pushed in one direction. Yes, and the thing about imbalanced lists is they're so thoroughly balanced, they do one thing really well, and if you can't deal with that one thing, they'll run over you. That's yes. the idea, and night lists are very much that way, and they are hard to deal with by a lot of things is the problem. Mm -hmm. They're kind of innately resilient because of that big stat line to many of the guns that would normally be killed, used to kill vehicles. Mm -hmm. I think another big component of it is that the way you beat a night list is not necessarily obvious to a lot of players who may be unfamiliar with them. Whereas, you no know, beating, say, uh, a Tau army or an Orc army basically boils down to shoot their stuff until it is dead. <clears throat> shoot their stuff is dead or, or piecemeal their stuff till it's dead. One sure. of the two. Kill them and thus prevent them from doing their thing is how you beat a lot of armies when you are relatively new to the game. Because that's kind of how you play. Yeah. That strategy works very poorly against knights. Simply because they are tougher than you. There's a very good chance that they shoot harder than you. Mm -hmm. they probably punch harder than you also. Yeah, because those stompy feet, AP minus 2d3 damage. Yes. You have very strong both shooting and melee attacks, which means that if you are playing a damage race with the enemy, then you're probably going to win as if you're throughout the night player. Yes, which is why you need to be not playing that game. You need to yes. stake them up in their big strategy away from them to beat them. Right. We've talked a little bit about before. If you can't win... A particular kind of matchup you know if you can't fight someone in melee if you can't beat them in shooting don't don't play that game mm -hmm. play a different game and that's very true with knights as well that you can't just go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them most of the time and expect to win just by slamming your face up against their shins it's, it's not gonna work real well it works very poorly and uh, except for the one game where it didn't and i got to laugh hysterically as 10 interceptors proceeded to kill a knight but that's not typical yeah, as I say, uh, it's still, don't bank on that. Another problem that a lot of players run into, and actually a problem that has kind of plagued the game up until relatively recent here, is that knights just kind of invalidate a lot of the medium-weight units. Yeah. Uh, just about anything bigger than a Terminator and smaller than a knight uh, is pretty easy prey for them, because they are perfect at killing those targets and very resilient to the kinds of guns that those things usually bring. It's what they're designed for. Yeah, like uh, Punisher cannons, they'll just laugh at. Yeah. Battle cannons, they laugh at. Not doing anything to a knight with a battle cannon, really. No. Whereas the knight's own battle cannon will kind of, like, shred that poor little predator or whatever it may be. As I said, the only thing you would see would be these Earthshakers hiding out of line of sight because knights can't shoot, have no means of ignoring line of sight, thankfully. With the exception of that one guy. Quite true, but yes. <laughs> close enough to true. So a lot of the sort of newer players may often end up with like trying out a random battle tank or whatnot in their list. And if you end up with this sort of weird hodgepodge that has a bunch of infantry and a couple of tanks, all those tanks are just going to go away against the first turn when, the, when a knight shows up. Yeah. Oh, you brought a bunch of elite infantry units. The knight will just chew them to pieces. Your armor saves are not good enough. Yes. They are, they're just sort of a natural counter to that sort of thing, is they are a, a bigger bully than those units are. Mm -hmm. And they're perfect at it. Yes. And the other thing that I think we've touched on a little bit already, we talked a lot about some of the knight stratagems and how powerful they can be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but think about it from a very obvious mechanical perspective. If you're spending 2 CP or 3 CP on a stratagem, you want that stratagem to be affecting the most powerful unit that you can better to have it work on Terminators than it is on Guardsmen. And guess what's even bigger than a unit of Terminators? A knight. Knights. Mm -hmm. 
So, by their very nature, knights make extremely efficient use of their stratagems. But even yes, the big ones. Yes, it's even the big ones, who sometimes pay a little bit extra, but it's absolutely worth it when you have a 500 or 600 or 700 point unit that is getting full use out of a stratagem. Yeah, when like a, over a quarter of your army is getting use out of it, sure, let's go. Yes, you don't often see stratagems that affect a full quarter of an army. That is typically the realm of some pretty powerful stuff. Yeah, there's not a whole lot in there. And they've done a pretty good job of trying to limit that stuff. Oh, sure. Um, None of this is to say that knights are unbeatable. Obviously, we are talking about why they are powerful, but knights aren't winning everything. There are ways to defeat them. However, I think we're going to have to save those for after Mess Hall is completed, as all of us need to get over there and start peeling potatoes. I think we're going to have to stop a moment. That's an Inquisitor behind you, Sean. Damn Inquisitors. I don't believe in Inquisitors. <laughs> but they believe in you. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god! Let me tell you about this amazing tournament I went to last year. It was the Boardroom Brawl GT in Grand Forks, Canada. This year, they're doing it again, August 3rd and 4th. It includes a post-game barbecue on Saturday, which is the best social thing ever. Also, fantastic terrain that is just super cool and kooky and engaging. And some of the most finest players you will ever meet. Totally worth the trip to Canada for. Please go, guys. They're Northwest Area Gamers. If you're looking for a major ITC event happening in the later end of the year here, think about Stumptown Stomp. It's a charity event, and at only $55, the majority of which does go to charity, you can get in for two full days of gaming on November 16th and 17th, and it comes with a potluck lunch on the first day of the event. There are a variety of prizes, raffled as well as awarded, for both painting, sportsmanship, overall, and generalship. So come on down to Guardian Games and give it a spin. I don't know about you guys, but I sure did love peeling those potatoes. <laughs> that wasn't potatoes. Oh. Oh. Oh, boy. <laughs> I got drunk. Bad day. So, in the first half, we talked a lot about what knights can do to you, so let's let's talk about the other half of this, what you can do to knights. If you're going into a matchup and you see three giant robots towering across the field from you, what's your first plan? Where do you start? Not let them see my dudes. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good place. Is this before or after the he's sobbing in a corner? Yeah. I sob in the corner after. Okay, just just checking. Or 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 I ask my opponent to buy me a drink, one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> This is definitely one of those games where I do the winner buys loser a drink policy. I can cry into my beer. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think the place I would start is, like we mentioned before, don't play their game. Knights want to get into a straight-up brawl with you. They want to turn it into an annihilation match. Yeah, which is why you play defensively. As I said, you start hiding your stuff. You start looking at the mission. Because you have to set on objectives and they have less units than you, probably. Yes. I think that the most valuable thing you can do against knights is score more points than them. Um, You don't have to kill all their robots to win. In fact, you don't really need to at all. It may be helpful to, and probably you should go for it at some point, but scoring more points for them is, is how you win. They want to table you so that they don't have to worry about points. Mm hmm You don't want to fall into that trap. Make sure that you are sitting on those objectives and getting those points every turn. If you're playing ITC, you can actually outscore knights pretty easily, because it's going to be pretty simple to hold more objectives than them. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're going to outscore them every turn. The other thing is if you're playing a very good defensive game and basically not letting them get many kills on you, their little Loyal 32 or Resty 17, not very tough. Yes. This is where those units can actually become a liability. It may be great that they're getting 10 CP out of the, the handful of like 400 points of bodies that they brought along with them, but those bodies can be killed, and even if they might be getting kill more on you many turns, because knights are pretty good at killing things, yeah, you just have to kill one and hold more than them, and suddenly you're, you're hitting parity with them. Yes. It gets better from there because knights are actually extremely vulnerable to giving up secondary points in ITC missions. Oh yeah, like Kingslayer, one of their knight character warlords, you yes. only have to do 12 wounds to it, you don't have to kill it. 16, but yeah, it's pretty much guarantee. But you do not have to kill that knight in order to get full points on it. Yeah. In addition to that, you can also take Titan Slayer, which will then, you know, if you can do 32 wounds spread amongst other knights, that's four more of ITC secondaries. And because you're going to score objectives, Recon's probably on the table. Recon, or any number of the other positionals, or Butcher's Bill, if you think you can just drop two of their stupid little janky units from the Loyal 32 or whatnot per turn. It, that's a little bit more marginal, depending on exactly what they've brought, but still very plausible in many cases. Uh, sometimes Engineers can actually be a pretty good choice, if you've got, like, a good hidey hole to put the units in, basically. A, a magic box and an objective next to it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, that Engineers is just, like, free points. The Knights cannot deal with your magic boxes. Yes. Uh, and as Shaylin kind of, like, started us out with here, Knights actually do struggle with terrain a fair bit, because they can't pass through buildings or ruins. No, they have to go through big gaps if they exist. Yeah, they can very easily find their movement confined. Even though they have a high movement value, they don't fly, they can't jump over terrain, and that means that any big pieces of blocking terrain or ruins or other things, they just have to walk around, and that can sometimes allow you to just kind of play a little game of catch just having your infantry dash back and forth through the walls. Now, you gotta keep an inch away from those walls, because otherwise they will charge in and smash you. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And they do have a stratagem that allows them to reach a little deeper into a ruin. Mm -hmm. So, you gotta be careful about that. You're not necessarily invulnerable just because you found a box. No. And even a magic box is not enough to protect you from a knight when they're popping that stratagem off, unless it is very wide. That can severely limit their ability to move, and it makes it much easier for you to move block. If there's two ruins near each other and just like a four-inch gap in between them, mm -hmm. stick five guys in that five-inch gap. Now the knight can't go anywhere. Yep. How do you feel about being stuck? And make him waste an entire turn killing five guys. <laughs> yes. And that is key here, is that uh, you can control a knight player's movement fairly easily because... They're, they've concentrated so much power into these individual expensive models. Here's another thing to remember. Knights can fall back over your infantry. They cannot move over you physically. Right. And during a fallback move only, they can pass over infantry and swarms, but not other unit types. So Drones can lock them up. Yep. Drones are not infantry. Bikes are not infantry. Vehicles are not infantry. There's a lot of things that'll stop a, a knight from moving through them. Quite a few, actually. I stopped a knight with a razorback and a ruin wall once. It was hilarious. Yeah, absolutely. Again, just positioning a unit in front of them, because if they're not falling back... They don't get to do that, and you can always fall back ahead of them if they kill most but not all of a unit, and continue blocking that gap off. Also, they can't physically land on your base, so if you have inconveniently paced, like, layers of units, yes. they get to stay in combat with you. Uh, it, it can You can definitely force them into some awkward positions. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very possible to pin a knight up against a board edge, or... A... Yeah, back him against a ruin and lock him up. Yes, mm -hmm. very possible. These are all sacrificial strategies. Like, if you get into combat with a knight and are kind of, like, tying them down like this, you're probably going to die, but you're okay with sacrificing units if you can control what the knight is able to do. Goes back to those trades issues. Yeah, if the knight spends three turns getting stuck up in a little spot and you've only spent, like, 400 points doing that, mm -hmm. you just turn that knight off for three turns of the game. That's fine. Yep. That, again, once again, that's tempo right there. You're controlling their movement, you're controlling their options. Mm -hmm. 
Knights also have a significant struggle with, as, as tough as they are, attrition is actually a problem for them. Yes. Uh, Shailen is very familiar with this because her army does a lot of mortal wounds to things. Uh, yes. My personal favorite thing is the knight player thinking, okay, I got a wound left, I can use the stratagem. He's all sitting there, I'm like, smite. Yes. Even little gray knight smites will kill knights. Sure, it all stacks up. If you have regular smites or gray knight smites or even thousand sun smites, if you're lucky enough to have access to that, any kind of mortal wound dealing power is going to be kind of scary to knights because they just can't afford to take a lot of damage. Their cost per wound is rather high because they're paying for that huge stat line. Yeah. AP minus one weaponry is kind of where it's at because you're taking them down to that invuln. Yep. From that three up to that four up. And you're just going to make them roll these half the time they work saves. Yep. You can force a lot of those, say, from something like heavy bolters or whatnot. Strength 5 AP 1 is kind of like your ideal stat line in a lot of ways. Yeah, because you're still wounding on 5-ups, and you're making them take those 4-ups. And yes. they'll just, you know, dice will win in the end. Yep. Something we, we forgot to mention with, uh, you know, mortal wounds and psychic powers... Knights are also very vulnerable to debuff powers. Oh, yeah. You cast that minus one to hit on a knight, much like with the, like we said earlier, with the knight stratagems, where having a single stratagem affect 500 points of units is very powerful, having a single debuff affect 500 points of units is also very powerful. Mm-hmm. So if you can slap a couple of strong debuffs from your Eldar or your Space Marines or what have you, that can be very terrifying to a knight player. One of the, the, the more common strategies that pa popped up uh, about four to six months ago was bringing along a bunch of Dark Angel and uh, Space Wolf librarians and have them slap three different minus one powers onto a knight, and suddenly it's hitting on sixes. Uh, another thing that is death for a knight, death hex. Yes, turning off that invuln is pretty big, because suddenly all those las cannons are killing it real hard. Yeah. It's huge. How do you feel about having no invuln save, buddy? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Josh, what's your kind of preferred strategy for actually killing a knight? For actually killing mortal wounds, any time you can find a way to dump mortal wounds, that's, that's to me, probably the most reliable way to do it. If I'm running marines, I will either use crap loads of sniper rifles with Bobby G nearby, or Imperial Fist uh, Centurions, or, you know, other ways to dump mortal wounds on them. Even if it's something as simple as, you know, what used to be the, the use the Hellfire rounds with heavy bolters. Just dump mortal wounds here and there. Tear them down piece by piece. Mm -hmm. That's just the most reliable way to chew through them. Another thing I'm personally fond of doing, and this is partly how I style my lists, is their invuln doesn't affect them in melee combat. Very Thunder true. hammers will rip them to pieces if they get in. Yes, the good old Smash Captain is kind of back in the running again these days. But anything with strong melee attacks can really give a knight... Uh, a pretty bad day. Orcs will do it a lot. Gene Steeler Colts mm -hmm. can as well. There are a lot of things with hard-hitting melee out there that will really make a knight worry if they haven't taken that two-up armor relic. Yep. And even with that, like, fives are not all that reliable at the end of the day. No, and I've seen some AP minus four smack into them and that. They just that crumple. Is extremely bad for them when your your Magnus or Mortarian manages to crash in there. Dreadnights with demon hammers. That as well. Yep. And really, in general, like we said, knights don't have a big wound count. Mm -hmm. So any damage you can put onto them, even if it's just one or two wounds, starts to add up relatively quickly. A way to look at a knight's wound count: they're two rhinos stapled together. Basically, yeah. Obviously, they are tougher than two rhinos, as they have the higher toughness in Invuln and whatnot, but not that much tougher. No. So, in a lot of ways, you can just sort of dump general shots into them, and even if they're not ideal, those da that damage will add up. I've seen many a knight take damage from las guns and bolters, just because it's like, well, I've got ten bolters in range, I might as well shoot them. Yeah, that's one of those, I'll just chuck dice at you until you fall over. Mm -hmm. Tau is kind of the worst matchup for them ever because they're basing him for future rounds. They're like, five ups to wound, yo! Yep. And then we've got stratagems that make this worse for you. Yes. It can be pretty horrifying for a knight player when your basic infantry are wounding them on fours. Uh, that's not really what they want to see. No. But it does apply to other factions as well, you know, regardless of how good or bad their guns are, because mm -hmm. it's just you make them take saves and those three ups will fail. Um, I mean, any Space Marine player knows that. Three ups never pass when you really want them to. 
So, aside from actually killing the knights or kind of controlling their movement, uh, there's other stuff you can do to limit their options as well. CPs. Yes. I mean, there's a reason they want to start with 19 command points. They're very hungry for resources. Yep. The whole, like, if the knight's damaged and they have to do the whole give me whole thing, they usually do that in the... They activate it at the beginning of the turn. Yes, uh, which can be used against them if you can damage them in the middle of a turn when they're not expecting it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, for example, if you, you can damage them in the middle of their, say, shooting or assault phase, you can drop them down tiers without them having the option to jump back up that turn. Mm-hmm. But forcing them to spend CP on things can be very big. If you can get multiple knights drop down tiers, then obviously they can't bring them both back up, but uh, baiting out that rotate ion shields for their, their plus one invuln and then switching targets can actually really start to cost them in the long run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, like, alright, I got two big powerful guns, I'm putting them two different knights, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Yes. Forcing them to make those kind of choices and to spend resources where they don't really want to be mm -hmm. uh, can add up very quickly because, you know, they may start with a big pile of CP, but as anyone out there knows, it's easy to burn through that really quickly if you're spending three for a stratagem and two for something else and one for a reroll and one for a reroll somewhere else. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, you're going to be out of CP by turn two at that point. Yep. Yeah, it adds up really quick. It's definitely something to modulate. Josh, do you have any kind of favored ways of abating out the night player stratagems or uh, things you can force them? The rotate's a big one. Yeah. I mean, you know you're playing against multiple knights, and so at this point, don't shoehorn yourself into having a, a target at only one knight for the turn. Mm -hmm. Put yourself in a position where the majority of your damage output can target multiple knights. So your first one shoots, mm -hmm. like, all right, I'm going to declare these weapons at that knight. Do you want to rotate? No? Okay, sweet. Let's do it again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, pretty much make them all of a sudden get punished, and while... Uh, you get a few good rolls, get a couple damages through, and all of a sudden now his knight's halfway down, and you're only halfway through your shooting. Now you're going to force him to have to choose. Okay, do I use my rotate now halfway through the turn for a knight that's already half dead just to keep it from dying, or do I just let it go and let the damn thing die? And so at this point, you're, you're forcing them to waste points. If they use it on the first go, sweet. Everyone else, shoot at the other guy. Yep. You know, so you, you there's ways you can bait them out throughout the turn, and also, don't fall into the traps, you know? Don't don't fall into the, I've almost got a knight dead, but I really want to kill that, that guard character over there with my Vindicare Assassin. Well, I've got a knight down to one wound, and everyone knows they've got this, the stratagem to go up to top tier, finish it off. Don't give them the opportunity. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I would say finishing knights is one of the most important things you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the uh, the sort of baiting them out and forcing them to make choices can apply to their other stratagems as well. They have the stratagem that gives them a, a five-up save against uh, mortal wounds. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're playing a psychic army, you can make them use that on one knight and then start casting spells on a different knight. Yes. Uh, that same sort of concept applies across any of their different stratagems like that, is by forcing them to activate on one target and then switching to a different one, you can really do some nasty things. So here's a fun fact. If you are equal distance between two targets with smite, you get to pick which one. Yep. That does involve some careful measuring, but you need to know that. Yes. Uh, I mean, with a Grey Knight unit, it's a lot simpler because I get to declare who the caster is, so I just have one unit closer to one and the other end of the unit closer to the other, and yes. I can just switch. You can also uh, force some awkward choices for them with weapons that are very high randomness, like mm -hmm. the Orc Shock Attack Gun, either the regular version or the Relic version. Yeah. Because if you aim that at a knight, they have to sort of think, well, what are the chances this actually damages me, and what are the what's the cost if it does? Because D6 shots for D6 damage each is very, very high variance. You might just roll a 1... And now they've wasted their rotate ion shields as you switch to a different target with a better character. But on the other hand, you could roll a five and just blow their knight out of the water in a single go. Mm -hmm. Things like that that have a very high randomness where, because they have to rotate before they know exactly how well you've done. Uh, you, ha you, get, you have to declare all your targets with that one unit, but 
then they have to rotate before they know how well you've rolled on the dice. That can force them to burn resources, and it's actually that lack of information that does it there. Yes. So the last thing, and one we have glossed over a little bit, but is actually very, very important to the matchup, is their model count. Oh yeah, they're very, very tiny. And once they run out of their little ground troops, they basically can't hold objectives anymore. They'll hold one objective, but that's it. And one is not really enough. You... You can kill those screens pretty easily, and you'll, you won't want to wipe them all out immediately, but you can sort of, like, blast through the 30 to 40 models that they are likely to have there. And once you've done that, they're just kind of, like, sitting on, like, three, maybe four models. That's not a lot. And with all those resources concentrated into those models... If they want them to do things, they're going to have to commit in very particular ways. For example, they may have to move off of an objective in order to charge you. Yeah. And that wouldn't be a problem if they had a multi-model unit that could just string itself out, or if they had two smaller units and they could send one at you and leave the other on the objective. But this is where that, you know, 500 points concentrated into a single model comes around to bite them in the ass again. Mm -hmm. Because they have very limited options. Sequencing can also be a problem for them. A single Knight Castellan can kill a lot of stuff, but it has to shoot all its guns at once. And that means if there is a character standing behind a single Grot, the Knight doesn't get to shoot at that character. Whereas two tanks would kill the Grot and then shoot the character. Yes. Those are definite problems they have. The other thing is... Knights struggle with huge hordes of units. They are not efficient oh. of killing 30-man block of things. No. One of their nightmare matchups really is the orc or guard just, like, body spam army. If they see 150 orcs across the table from them, it's just sort of like, well, I guess I've lost now. Yep. I haven't started the game yet, but I've already lost. They cannot kill the orcs quickly enough, and the orcs will just basically be on top of them and kill all their griblies, and they will just be swammed in hordes of orcs, and that will be the game. Yes, uh, and especially because inevitably armies that run that many bodies have a bunch of powerful characters hiding behind them. Your war bosses, your mm-hmm. weird boys, all this sort of thing. The things that kill knights super good. War yes. bosses rip knights to pieces. Oh, yeah, that war boss with the relic power claw will probably solo a knight. Oh, yeah. And... In the orgiest of ways. Yes. And that's actually it's true for many other factions as well. There are a lot of armies out there who can buff up a combat character to be powerful enough to kill or nearly kill a knight by themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's a really good trade for you. If you're, you're spending that 114 points on a smash captain and then killing a knight with him, he's doing pretty all right for himself at that point. Even if he dies in the process, that's fine. Mm-hmm. That ability of many armies to trade with the knight. Mm-hmm. A knight doesn't have that the staying power, as we kind of mentioned in the attrition section. It's just every wound you do stacks up on them because they're paying, what, like 20, 30, 40 points per wound? Yeah. Whereas your little guardsmen are paying four points per wound. That's a very powerful ability, is just to have more wounds than the enemy. Yes. So, do either of you have any kind of favored strategies against knights? Uh, I know, Shaylin, you you kind of take advantage of that lack of screens on them quite a bit with your gray knights. Well, because gray knights destroy screens like nobody's business. It's like, your screen's gone, and it turns out, like, the knights, they'll kill some gray knights in return. Mm-hmm. But even gray knights on foot will, like, yeah, I need a six to wound you, but if I wound you... In close combat, that knight is not liking it, because that's D3 force weapon damage. Multi-damage, good AP, those will stack up. So what I do is I play the whole, I hide in a ruin, shoot out with astral aim, kill your screens, now you've got to deal with Grey Knight's game. Yeah, you kind of mentioned that a little bit earlier, but... They hate that. Hiding from knights, getting behind terrain, can be a very, very good way to deal with them. If you have line of sight, get around shooting, and they don't, you'll probably get rid of their little stuff. And they have to use their little stuff to address your stuff in the ruins, and if your stuff's, like, better than them at, like, living in melee... Right. They don't win that. Well, and and even if neither of you can shoot, often you can use that advantage of maneuverability mm-hmm. to get to places the knights can't go or to get to places they don't want you to be. 
Yes. Like, inconveniently in a ruin in their backfield. It's like, what do I... I can't get around this. I'm gonna spend two turns getting around this dang ruin. Yes. And then you'll just jump to the other side of it and I'll have to spend two more turns coming back. Yep. I, I played that game. It's called the Cat and Mouse Annoy the Night player game. Mm-hmm. Josh, do you have any strategies uh, against knights? My go-to whenever I'm fighting a multi-knight list is... Mm-hmm. I kind of like to use the 300 mentality. I like to use the train to my advantage and force them to fight me on my terms rather than theirs. Knights like big open spaces, and mm-hmm. if I can force them to fight me in limited number, limited line of sight, or even limited mobility, then that's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to find a way to capitalize that on that as long as I can during a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially infantry, but even other kinds of models. You know, anything with fly and stuff like that can very easily take advantage of the knight's inability to move through built-up terrain. Mm-hmm. You are fighting knights on planet Bowling Ball. It's going to be a rough game, but if you're playing them in a city fight scenario, that's a very different matter. Yeah, city fights are kind of don't advantage the knight player nearly as much as the knight pair would like it to. Yeah. They, they can do board control with firing lanes, but if you're fast enough to close through a firing lane, mm-hmm. they're screwed. And my personal favorite, everyone go upstairs. Yes. <laughs> Just sort of climbing into the upper levels of the ruins can really make it difficult for a knight to get to you. Yep. They do have that one stratagem that'll let them reach the second floor, but it won't get the third floor, mm-hmm. and it won't reach very deep into the second floor. No. So, I think we've mostly covered the the ways you, you can deal with knights, is really just don't play their game. Score the points, get on objectives, concentrate in ways that they can't move to follow you or that to move through terrain where they can't pass and you'll find that although knights are a powerful army and certainly one that can win a lot of tournaments they're certainly not an unbeatable army yes and if you need to practice against knights once again a little bit of cardboard cut out a base tell your opponent what the weapons are they don't have that many weapons to memorize Yes. Now you've got a practice game. It's Knights are one of the easiest armies to proxy, because you're only going to need to proxy three of them. Yeah. It is very simple to kind of, like, do a test game like that, especially if you have a, an obliging partner who's mm-hmm. willing to play the part of the Knights or wants to play their army against you sort of taking the role of the Knights. Can't tell you how many times Stan and I have had the Storm Surge legs running around pretending to be Imperial Knights. It worked oh, great. Oh, yes. Oh, we did it early on in the edition and a number of times later as well when we were sort of like, well, I don't know how well this this does against Knights, so let's, let's give this a spin and see how it goes. Mm-hmm. You don't feel afraid to proxy like that. It's just sort of part of the testing process. Yes, and don't be afraid to, like, give the list a spin so you can understand how it breaks. Sure. There are more and more people out there who do have knights that you can either play against or borrow to play with. They've become rather common these days, so give them a little bit of a try, and I think you'll find out that the list is maybe not quite as unbeatable as it tends to get played up as. Mm-hmm. So, if you have any questions or comments, you need help beating knights, or maybe you have a knight list of your own and you want to try and cover up some of these weaknesses, mm-hmm. you can email us at inthefinesthour at gmail.com, or you can contact us through our Facebook page at In the Finest Hour. And if you would like a little bit of more of an ongoing conversation, you want to sort of be part of the community that we built here, we have a Patreon, and for five bucks a month, you can get in on our private Facebook group, as well as the Discord channel that we have. Where you can find out that Shaylin's favorite type of booze is hard cider. (laughs) Yes, and all sorts of other fun little factoids. You can join up with that and share pictures of your models, share some stupid memes, maybe ask people for help with a list, whatever it is that you're kind of looking for out of the hobby. Or rules nuances, that's the new one. Yes. Uh, we tend to have a lot of pretty good ongoing discussions there, especially anytime anything new is released. I'd also like to say thanks to our sponsors, uh, especially Dank Muse, who has provided the intro and intermission music for our thing here. Uh, you can find him either on Spotify as well as on YouTube and SoundCloud. Mm-hmm. I'd like to thank Rylan Woodrow for doing our fantastic, amazing art, and the lovely Stephanie Jensen for doing our t-shirts yes yay coming along pretty nicely i think yay those will be not appearing at bao there was a technical issue stopping that but we'll be seeing them shortly next events 
And I'd definitely love to throw out uh, the call out again to anyone that's looking for some advertising, anyone that wants to, you know, uh, that listens to the show or likes the show and wants to get their name out there for their business or their company or even just their club or organization. Uh, please feel free to reach out to us at inthefinesthour uh, at gmail com, or you can come to our Facebook page or our Patreon page for In the Finest Hour, and we'd be more than happy to look at options for representation. All right, I think that wraps up our episode. So next week we will be talking about playing fast, how to do it well, and how not to do it poorly. Because there are still a lot of people who don't finish games. Yep, well, and we'd like you to all to be better. That's why we're here. Exactly. So, for In the Finest Hour, I've been Sean Morgan. Shaylin Allen. And Joshua Death. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 